Well, I just don't know of a message that I preached recently that has had as much or has led to as many questions in the Shorter household as last Sunday's message. Um, there are a lot of kitchen conversations that went on last Sunday after the message. Uh, so maybe you have had some of those conversations and some of those questions from last Sunday as well. So I thought maybe I better address those before we get into the message today. And it's nothing bad. It's all good. But I thought well, if there's that many people in my own family asking questions, then maybe others have questions as well. So last Sunday we started this new series called Overwhelmed. And we talked about the burden of anxiety. And the scripture was 1 Peter 5, 7 that says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you, or you are his greatest concern. And I said that if you're really going to deal with anxiety biblically, don't start in verse 7, start in verse 6. Verse 6 says, humble yourself before God. And we talked about that sometimes the presence of anxiety is directly related to the absence of humility. That at least in the book of 1 Peter, there's this correlation between my humility or my pride and my anxiety. And so that led to a lot of questions in my own household. Uh, in our kitchen last Sunday, somebody said, are you saying that anytime I'm anxious, I'm being prideful? And no, that's not what I'm saying at all. Uh, there are many stressors that trigger anxiety. Many different things can trigger your anxiety. What I was saying last Sunday, though, pride is one of those triggers. Pride is one of those things. It's not the only one, but it is one of those things. That's why in 1 Peter, the people that Peter was writing to, the situation he was dealing with, before he told them, cast all your anxiety on the Lord, he said in the verse prior to that, humble yourself before God's, under God's mighty hand. So there was a correlation there to the people in Peter's day. And maybe there's a correlation in your day. That's why I said, if I have an anxiety problem, I need to check to see if I also have a pride problem. Uh, but again, that's not the only stressor, that's not the only trigger, it's just one of them. Uh, the second question in our kitchen last Sunday was this, how do you feel about taking meds for anxiety? Uh, well, I'm not an expert in that field by any stretch of the imagination, so I would advise you to consult your doctor. But I will also tell you that I take meds for my arthritis, and I take meds for my blood pressure. I hope one day to get off some of those meds, but I still take them, and I am thankful to God for them. But that's not the point of the message. The point of the series is this. Whether you take medication for anxiety or not, we all need to learn to cast our anxiety on the Lord. That the biblical response for a child of God I'm not saying it's wrong to take the meds. I'm not, I'm not addressing that at all. I'm saying that for every Christian, whether you take medication at all uh, or not, for every Christian, we all have to learn to cast our anxiety on the Lord. And, and that's why the subtitle in this series, Overwhelmed, is Learning to Let Go of Anxiety. It takes us a while to learn to do that. So that's why today, my, me uh, my message today is entitled, My Anxious Thoughts. If you struggle with anxiety... You probably have a contentious and complicated relationship with your own mind, right? What I mean by that is there are all kinds of anxious thoughts that sometimes can dominate your thinking. It's almost like your mind tortures you a little bit because it gives you all of these thoughts about what you should be scared of or what horrible things might happen somewhere out there, either to you or to your family. And your mind runs there very quickly about all the things that might happen sometime 
in the future. Your mind convinces you that you need to be worried, that you need to be fearful, that you need to be anxious, and sometimes your mind won't ever shut down. It just continues to run that theme. Now, last week I I gave you a definition of anxiety. Let me remind you what it is. The word literally means to divide or to distract. In other words, the idea is there is a war going on in your mind. It's a war where your mind is divided and you are distracted. It's a fearful reaction to what your mind is contemplating. A fearful reaction to what your mind is contemplating. But can I remind you, just because your mind says something is going to happen, that doesn't mean it's going to happen. Just because your mind says something is true, that doesn't mean it's true. Just because your mind tells you you need to be worried, that doesn't mean you need to be worried. Thoughts are just thoughts. You might want to write that down. It's profound, isn't it? Thoughts are just thoughts. Thoughts are not facts, and thoughts are not the final authority. But anxious thoughts are very real. And I recognize that sometimes anxious thoughts are very hard to overcome. So as Christians, how do we handle that? As Christians, what do we do with those anxious thoughts that flood our minds? Well, I would suggest that we start in Psalm 139. Would you open God's Word with me? Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is is really a penetrating prayer that David prayed. You're getting to look over his shoulder. You're getting to read his personal diary, his prayer journal, if you will. It really is a conversation with God. It is a prayer to God. The entire psalm is a prayer to God. But it's also a prayer that maybe you and I need to pray. Especially if you have a battle going on in your mind about anxiety. So, David did a lot of courageous things in in his life. I don't know if you're very familiar with David. A lot of you probably are. David did a lot of courageous things in his life. He fought a lion. He killed a bear with his own hands. He killed a giant named Goliath with just a slingshot. But maybe one of the most courageous things that David ever did was the day he prayed this prayer. And we're we're not going to have time to read the entire Psalm 139. I want to go to the end of the prayer. The last two verses, verses 23 and 24. David prays this powerful prayer, and here's what he says. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Man, what a powerful prayer. And it's so unlike many of our our prayers, because a lot of our prayers are times when we say our prayers or times when we just pray what we've prayed yesterday and the day before and the day before because we pray out more out of memory and habit. But that's not the kind of prayer David is praying here. David is praying sincerely to God and what he prays is in regard to his anxious thoughts. And what he prays, if you pray it, might turn out to be a help for your anxious mind As well, I want you to notice in verse 1 that verse 1 is kind of the doorway leading into the rest of the psalm. I want to kind of outline the entire psalm for you so that you can understand the last part of it where David prays this prayer. The doorway to the entire psalm is verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. That word know there does not mean simply you know my name or you know where I live or you know some things about me. The, The word has the idea of intimacy 
And it's the same word that would, use, would be used to describe intimacy between a husband and a wife, that you know one another intimately. That's what David says about God. God, you have searched me and you know me. You might put in parentheses in your notes there, you know me intimately. You know me in a way that no other person knows me. And the word intimacy, sometimes a little wordplay is intimacy is into me see. David said, God, you know me and you can see into me. That's the doorway, verse 1, to the entire psalm. And then he outlines for us the different ways that God knows us. He says, you know me intimately in verses 2 through 6. Look what he knows about us. Verse 2, you know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. And then he says, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Just an example of how God knows us intimately. And then David goes on to say, the Lord is with us constantly. Verse 7 and following. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heavens, you're there. If I make a bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. The Lord is with us constantly. And then David goes on to say that the Lord made us wonderfully. Verses 13 through 16. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. This is how intimately God knows you. David said, he knows you so intimately that He created you in your mother's womb. He knows everything about you. I praise you, verse 14, because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. God made us wonderfully. And then he also outlines that the Lord reigns supremely and sovereignly. Verses 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, look up here for a moment. David said, if I tried to count the number of ways you have blessed me, if I tried to count the number of ways you, you have done things for me, if I tried to count the number of ways you have, you have uh, um, kind of been involved in my life, look what he says. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I am awake, I am still with you. Now don't miss this. If you read the entire psalm, we don't have time to read the entire psalm, but basically if I could summarize the entire psalm, it would be this. David is overwhelmed, listen carefully, David is overwhelmed with the godness of God. Not the goodness of God, though God is good. That's not what David's writing about. David is writing in Psalm 39 about the godness of God. That God, because He is God, knows everything about us. God, because He is God, is always with us. God, because He is God, is intimately involved in our lives and can do anything that we need Him to do. David was overwhelmed in this psalm with the godness of God. And he realized that that God knew His every thought, His every word, and His every deed. So David wisely, at the end of this psalm, David wisely invited this God... To look into his life on an intimate level. Look at verse 23 again. Here's what David says to this God who knows everything. David says, search me, O God, and know my heart, and test me, and know my anxious thoughts. Let let me pause for just a second before we get too deep into this. Let me pause for a second and, and acknowledge the complexity of our anxious thoughts. The complexity of our anxiety. I know that anxiety comes at us in all kinds of shapes and sizes. 
I know that anxiety sometimes comes for a moment. For some of you, it's just for a moment. For some of you, anxiety comes for a season. And for some of you, anxiety seems to occupy your entire life. So far, this is only the second sermon in this series, but so, so far, after every sermon, people meet me out front to tell me about their situation and their struggle and how real this issue is in their life. In fact, I had somebody hand me this note after the first service just a moment ago. And this person wrote, One goal to help with anxiety and depression is this. Pray this, Lord, help me strive for progress, not perfection. Help me to strive for progress, not perfection. So this is a very real problem for many, many people. In fact, there's a worldwide mental health survey that was conducted. And did you know that Americans are number one in this worldwide mental health survey that Americans are the most anxious people in the world? And when they dug a little deeper and they found out more about Americans and their anxiety... The teenagers and the 20-year-olds in America are the most anxious people in America. Teenagers and 20-year-olds. So this is a very real struggle for a lot of people. And I only have about 25 minutes to talk to you about it. And and quite frankly, I'm not qualified to solve every problem and answer every question. But let me tell you something. That's not my goal. My purpose today is to point you to the one who is qualified. And he speaks to us in his word. And He knows you intimately. He knows everything about your heart. He knows everything about your home. He knows everything about your life. And He speaks from His Word to help you with your anxious thoughts. I am not here to be Dr. Shorter to help you with your anxiety. I'm here to be a paper boy and tell you what God says. I want you to believe in the Godness of God. And I want to show you how David asked God to do three things. He prayed for these three things. And if you struggle with anxious thoughts, I would just encourage you to follow the pattern of prayer found in this text. Pray these three things. Here's the first thing to pray. Number one, search my heart. Pray that to God and mean it. If you struggle with anxiety, if you struggle with anxious thoughts, pray this prayer. Search my heart. Verse 23, read it again. Search me, O God, and know my heart. And the word search means to examine carefully. It means to find out by seeking out. I want you to write that down if you're taking notes. I want you to remember it because we're going to come back to that definition. The word search means to find out by seeking out. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, I was, I was at home and I was trying to find the heating pad and I couldn't find it. And Lisa wasn't there. And so I did the one thing all good husbands would do. I called her. I said, I can't find the heating pad. And and she told me what closet to go to. She told me what shelf to look on. She told me what side of the shelf to look on. And I said, I've already done that. I went to that closet. I looked on that shelf. I even looked on that side. I've already done it. I don't see it. And then she said those seven magic words. You may have to move some things. Any wives know what we're talking about here? I have this gift of looking without really looking. I mean, it's just a gift. David, when he's praying this prayer, David is saying, God, I don't want you to just look and take a peek. I want you to move some things in my heart. 
I want you to examine me. Look at my heart. Look what he says. Search me, O God, and know my heart. I want you to move some things around if you have to, but I want you to look and search in my heart. Now let me tell you why David said that. It was not that David was trying to give God some information that God didn't have. God knew the day he was born, before he was born. God knows everything about him. That's what we're talking about in Psalm 139, the godness of God. He knows everything about us. So when David said, search my heart and, and, uh, and know my heart, the word know there is a word of intimacy, and it means I want you to know me intimately. I don't want to try to hide anything from you. Hear those words again. I don't want to try to hide anything from you. I want to be open with you. So God, dig deep into my heart because I want you to know everything that is there. David was not informing God about what was in his heart. David was opening his life up to, to God's examination so that God could show him what some problems are. Remember I told you that the Hebrew word search means to, to find out by seeking out? That's what David's asking for here. It, in modern day language, we would maybe call it exploratory surgery. The doctor examines you, he runs some tests, he still is not sure what the problem is, so he says, the only thing I know to do, we're just going to have to cut you open and look around and see where the problem is. That's exploratory surgery. David prayed, Lord, I want you to do divine exploratory surgery on me. You say, well, why would anybody be that open with God? Why would anybody be that transparent with God? Why would anybody invite God to kind of open them up and look at my heart and see if there's anything wrong there? Why would anybody say that to God? Because they want to get well. They want to overcome their anxious thoughts. See, here's what I want you to grasp today. The Bible nowhere tells us we need to deny our anxiety. The Bible nowhere tells us that we need to uh, ignore it or run from it. In fact, it says just the opposite. David gives us this example of being prayerfully transparent and say, God, I'm not trying to hide anything. You know I struggle with this. You know this is an issue in my mind. You know how worried and fearful I am. God, I'm not going to try to hide anything. I'm just going to open my heart up to everything. I want you to see it. I want you to know it. I want you to help me with it. Transparency is when you're not trying to hide anything from God. You're inviting God to deal with what's there. So the first prayer is search me. If you're struggling with anxious thoughts, just ask God, would you search my heart? Show me whatever I need to see, whatever I need to deal with. Here's the second part of the prayer is this. Know my anxious thoughts. In the second part of verse 23, David says that. He says, test me. This time he didn't say search me. This time he said test me. A little bit deeper. Check to see what's real and what's not. That's the word testing. Check to see what's real and what's not. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. This is not a light matter to be examined by God. You need to understand this. David was convinced, though, it's better to invite God to know our anxious thoughts than it is to be burdened by them. There are times in our minds where we really are burdened by what we're thinking about. There are times when, here, here's what I've seen happen. I've seen it in my own life, but you've seen it as well. There are times when our minds can take us from the real world that we're living in into an imaginary world of what might happen. 
the real world we're living in, there's things that happen around us, there's problems, there's crises, there's, there's situations, and we're in that real world, and that crisis, that problem, that situation is all around us, and all of a sudden, our mind extrapolates that into an imaginary world of what-ifs, and what might happen, and, and what about this, and what about that. It's amazing how, how your mind does that. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, Be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. And Satan knows that. Satan knows that your thoughts run your life. So the devil is always messing with your mind. And he does his best to convince you, you need to fear this. You need to panic. You need to be anxious because of what you are going through and what you are dealing with. Let me try to illustrate this for you. Let's suppose that you've got a son in fourth grade and he fails his fourth grade math test. Comes home and there's a big red F on the paper. Do they even send papers home anymore? I don't know. But let's, let's pretend that there are, okay? So he comes home and he's failed his fourth grade math test and then you disappointed. Your mind begins to go from the now, from the real world that you're living in, to the future and what might happen. You begin to extrapolate that out and you think, well, if he can't do math, he's probably not going to do good in school. If he doesn't do good in school, he can't get, go to college. If he doesn't go to college, he's not going to get a job. If he doesn't get a job, he's probably not going to get married. If he doesn't get married, he's probably not going to have any, I'm not going to have any grandkids and he's probably going to live in my basement for the rest of his life. And our mind has that ability to go from the now he got an F on the test, one single test, and all of a sudden, we, we just run with that, with what ifs. I found that I, that I do this quite well sometimes. Uh, and I'll tell you what, I, what I've started saying to myself. And I don't know where it came from, I, I, it just popped in my head one day. But here's what I will sometimes do. I can take the now situation, whatever it is. I can take the now situation and I can just write a script in my mind of what's going to happen. You know, oh, I bet this is going to happen here, and I bet she's going to do this, I bet he's going to say that, and I bet they're going to do this, and I bet this. And in my mind, I've got it all played out of what's going to happen. I'm going from the real now, and the problem I'm dealing with, into the future, an imaginary future. An imaginary future of what might happen and I get all tied up in knots, not because of the now, the problem I'm facing, but because of the imaginary problems out there of what I might be facing one day. Anybody else, is that, you understand what I'm saying? Alright, so, so this is what we're really dealing with. So here's what I say to myself. When I catch myself doing that, when I catch myself doing that, I literally say out loud these words, don't fill in the blanks. Don't fill in the blanks. What I'm saying to myself is don't let your mind deal with what ifs and maybes and I bet and all those kind of, don't fill in the blanks because I don't know what's going to be in the future. All I know is what's happening right now today. And if I let my mind fill in the blanks, I will have lots of reasons to worry and lots of reasons to be anxious. So I have to say to myself, we'll talk about this a little bit more next Sunday, but what I say to myself literally out loud, Keith, don't fill in the blanks. See, Satan is the master of deceit. But hear me, and hear me well. He is the master of, de of deceit, but he is not the master of your mind. You have the ability to choose 
what you think about. And you have a power that Satan cannot defeat because if you know Christ as your Savior, you not only have the power to choose what you think about, but you actually have God on your side. And that's what David's talking about in Psalm 139, the second part, verse 23. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. God, I want you to be involved in this. I want you to know what my anxious thoughts are because I want your help with them. So if your mind is filled with anxious thoughts, think about what you're thinking about. Think about what you're thinking about. Are you thinking about the now and the problem right now? Or are you thinking about what might happen someday out there in the future? Are you fearful about the right now? Or are you fearful about how your mind has filled in the blanks in the future? There are many things you have no choice over. You have no choice over where you were born. You have no choice over when you were born. You, you don't even have choice over the weather. You might have preference about what the weather's going, but you don't have a choice over it. But one of the greatest things you do have control over is this. You choose what you think about. So choose to invite God into your anxious thoughts. Choose to invite God into your anxious thoughts. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. He was inviting God into his anxious mind. Prayerfully invite God to help you win the battle in your mind. Then there's a third thing that David prayed. And I love this. David said, see if there is any offensive way in me. First, there's two parts to this prayer. Uh, it, basically, the prayer is lead me in the way everlasting. But before he gets into the depth of that, David says, see if there's any offensive way in me. As you're looking at my mind, as you're looking at my life, as you're examining my heart, as I'm opening myself up to you, is there anything there that shouldn't be there? Is there anything there that shouldn't be there? Am I doing anything that I shouldn't be doing? Am I thinking something I shouldn't be thinking? Am I participating in something I shouldn't be participating in? Is there anything in my heart, anything in my life that shouldn't be there? Any offensive way in me? And then he goes on to say, and lead me. If you don't have it underlined in your Bible, underline those two words, please. Lead me. Lead me in the way everlasting. When you pray and ask God to lead you in the way everlasting, you are inviting God to take charge of your life. Let me say it to you this way. Lead me is a lordship decision. Lead me is a lordship prayer. When you say lead me, you are surrendering to his lordship. Putting God back on the throne of your heart. Rather than letting anxiety take center stage in your heart and your mind, you're allowing God to have center stage in the throne room of your life. Allowing God to direct you into the right path. Lead me indicates I can't find it on my own. I, I, this is a lordship decision and I'm going to surrender to you because I can't find the right way on my own. So I'm trusting in you to lead me. I'm trusting you to show me what I, what I can't find on my own. But then he says, lead me in the way. And what's the last word in Psalm 139? What's the very last word? Yeah. If you're taking notes, you might want to write down, God's way is always the everlasting way. That's true, isn't it? God's way is always the everlasting ways. Other ways in life might seem attractive. Other ways in life might be exciting. And some ways in life might be fulfilling. But only God's way 
is everlasting. And folks, there is great satisfaction and there is great security in trusting God to lead your life. There's great satisfaction and great security in saying, it's no longer my life, Lord, it's yours. Do you know why? Look, look at me. Do you know why we sometimes get so anxious? It's because we are in charge. And it's a lot more than we can handle. God never meant your shoulders to carry all of that. So one of the ways you deal with that anxious mind is to say, I am resigning from running my life. Lead me, God, in the way everlasting. Because when I try to run my life, it just becomes overwhelming. And I get anxious. You say, well, why would you, why, 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 why? Why would you want God to, to lead your life? Why, why would anybody ask God to kind of take over? Well, let me show you that in Scripture. I'm going to show you why he's qualified. Most of you know he's qualified, but let me show you why he's qualified. Verse 16. Well, let's start the middle part of verse 15. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes, parentheses, God, your eyes saw my unformed body. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. If you can find somebody more qualified than that to run your life, then go ahead, by all means, let them lead you. But I don't know of anyone or anybody who could say, listen, I've got, before you were ever born, I figured it all out. Before you were ever born, I, I wrote down what your life was going to be like. No, no, none of us could do that. None of us have that insight. None of us have that wisdom. None of us have that knowledge. But I want you to think about, again, the Godness of God. David said, because of who you are, because before I was ever born, you knew me and you planned my life. The godness of God. David said, now I'm asking you to lead me. Lead me in the way that is everlasting. By the way, let me close by saying this. We all have a way of living. All of us do. Whether you're a believer in Christ or not, we all have a way of living. For some, your way of living is just sinful pleasure. You feel like you've earned it. You feel like you deserve to be happy. And that's what you're pursuing, sinful pleasure. That's your way of living. For some, your way of living is accumulation and ambition. You're going to make a name for yourself. You're going to make something of yourself. You're going to build your business. And I'm not saying that's wrong. That's just your way of living. For others, your way of living is wrapped up with your family. You just absolutely love your kids and your grandkids. And I understand that and I'm in that boat too. But that's just your way of living. For some of you, your way of living is just you're a very disciplined, structured person. And you've got goals and you've got an agenda and you've got spreadsheets and it's all mapped out. And that's your way of living. Maybe your way of living may involve religion and self-improvement. You're just trying to be a better you. And so you've checked out this religion and that religion and this belief in that belief and you're just trying to become a better you that's your way of living but there's only one way that is an everlasting way Proverbs 14 12 says this there is a way that seems right to man but in the end it leads to death there is a way of living that seems right. 
But in the end, it leads to death. That's why David, with his anxious thoughts, the last thing he said to God was this. God, I need you to lead me. It's a lordship decision, and I'm declaring it now. I need you to lead me in the way everlasting. David prayed that prayer because he was inviting God to take over. He was inviting God to show him. He was inviting God to lead him in the way that's everlasting. I don't know of another way that's better to live than the way that's everlasting. I want you to pray with me. Would you bow your heads? I want to ask you a question. As your heads bowed, eyes closed, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever invited God to take over your life? Have you ever prayed and given God permission to lead you in the way that is everlasting? That's what the cross is all about, by the way. The cross is all about God's invitation to lead you in the way that is everlasting. That God wants to lead your life. He wants to be the Lord of your life. But but He becomes the Lord of your life with your permission. You have to invite Him to do that. You have to invite Him to lead your life. To be the Lord in your life. Believing that you are a sinner and that Christ died for your sins, that He died died in your place, you can say, God, I'm turning away from the sinful way I've been living And now I'm asking you to lead me in the way that is everlasting. Whether you're here in the building or you're watching online, you can pray a very simple prayer from your heart, asking God to forgive you of your sins, to be the Lord of your life, and confessing your faith in Christ and His death on the cross for your sin. You can do that right now, right where you are. And then I know I'm also speaking to some people right now who, life's been hard. And it's not that you're not saved, you know you're saved, but you recognize that in these anxious days, your mind has been controlling your thoughts. Your mind has been so active about what you need to worry about and what you need to panic about and what if and what might happen then and all of that. And we're going to talk about that some next week, but right now, right now, maybe your heartfelt prayer might be, God, I know I'm saved, but would you lead me in the way that's everlasting? Because that's the way of peace. That's the way of trust. And I recognize this is a lordship decision I'm making today. Lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Father, in the name of Jesus and for your glory, thank you that you speak to us for our good. May we respond to your direction and to the truth you've shown us. In Christ's name I pray, amen.